You know, many of you have asked, how can I support the show even further? Well, here's the answer. Visit teachhoops.com slash 816 basketball. Check out all the incredible content that Coach Collins has at teachhoops.com. But again, teachhoops.com slash 816 basketball. Support the show and learn and grow at the same time. Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast, brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here as always on the Greatest Games Podcast, a chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game. As always, it can be their time as an assistant coach, a head coach, a JV coach, a B-team coach, just whatever game they consider to be their greatest. Well, you know what, Chris? We are going to the coast of South Carolina near one of my all-time, you heard it here first, one of my all-time favorite golf courses, Kings North at Myrtle Beach National, just up the road, 501. I think I'm right on my geography. Coach will be able to help, help correct me here. The head coach at Carolina Forest High School, Emmanuel DeWalt. Welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast. Thank you for having me. Is the, ge- the geography is right, Coach uh, Brian. Coach will help you out, but I'm looking at a map right now, and I notice Myrtle Beach National right there up the road. Okay, perfect. Right across the street from school. <laughs> yep. There you go. There you and, go. And Coastal Carolina right up the street there too, pretty much, right? Yep. That's a nice, a nice area of the country. Coach, are you a golfer at all? Uh let's say I have some clubs. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you're qualified. You are now a golfer. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great way of putting it. Some days uh, I consider myself a golfer coach, and some days I consider myself a guy that has some clubs. That's <laughs> <laughs> the way that game goes. Uh, coach, why don't you tell us about uh, – kind of give us your resume and take us through your journey in basketball and how you got to where you are today there at Carolina Forest. Okay, well, uh, I graduated high school in uh, 1998 uh, from Union High School. played for uh, Hall of Famer Coach Joe Pitt. Um, I went on to play football in college at the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga. Um, and in 2003, I got hired to be an assistant for Charlie Harrison at your comprehensive high school. And I worked there for eight years as assistant and JV head coach. Um, and then in 2011, I got my first head coaching job at Mid Carolina High School. Uh, and I was there for six years. Um, and then during my final year at Mid-Carolina, I got a phone call from uh, Greg Lawson, who was a football coach at Union when I played, and told me he was at Hemingway and that he was coaching basketball because out of necessity and so that he was just doing it for a year and then the job would be opening up if I was interested in coming down. Um, he told me, he says, you can come down here because I'm probably about to win a state championship, and I'm not even a basketball guy. You can come down here, you get an opportunity, you can probably win one or two. And so uh, when the season ended, I applied, and I was hired at Hemingway. I was there for two years, and then when Coach Brunson retired from Carolina Forest as a varsity boys basketball coach, I took over there uh, last year. So, Coach, I, I want you to take our listeners. This is one of the things about this show. We've gone all around the country. We, we talked to New Jersey coaches. We talked to South Carolina coaches and California coaches. We, we're getting ready to go international here soon. Um, tell people about the town of Hemingway, which I believe is about a 400, about 400 population, right, 
and the basketball in Hemingway and the history in Hemingway and what you were stepping into taking that job? Oh, wow. Uh, there's two things that people in Hemingway know about. One is really good barbecue. You ever been to Hemingway? You know about Scott's barbecue. Scott, I'm looking at it on the map, coach. I'm a map guy. I'm looking at <laughs> Scott's bar. I went, I went to Hemingway, and the first thing that showed up was Scott's barbecue out there on County Road 45 160 here. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, two things in Hemingway you got your barbecue, and they love their basketball. Uh, they've won uh, seven state championships at Hemingway, um, and they've played for, uh, I think, five others or six others. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be a part of two of them. Uh, one win and one came up a little short. Uh, but very interesting place. Uh, very small, very small town. I think we had maybe 300 kids in the whole building. And uh, I actually looked at, when I first started at Hemingway, I looked at the uh, kids on the football field. And I thought about the kids at places I've coached before in mid-Carolina and in York. I thought to myself, man, this school has a third of the amount of kids. <laughs> We've got just as many, if not more, athletes that, than any other place I've ever seen in my life. It was ridiculous how many great athletes was on that football field at one given time from a little small 1A school in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Uh, coach, I'm I was I'm efforting a name, but uh, I can't think of it. When, when you were at UT Chattanooga, you're a football guy. Uh, who was who was your coach? Okay, so when I signed, I played for Buddy Green. Buddy Green, that's it. I got my buddy just sent me Todd Green. Yeah, I worked with Todd Green at the University of South Carolina. Buddy's son. Okay. Okay, that's I thought it was Buddy Green. That's what I thought when I just knowing the years you were there. Yeah, he, he was there my first two years. And then he went back to NC State to work with uh, Chuck Amato. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Donnie Kirkpatrick took over and was there for the remainder of my uh, Okay. And Donnie Kirkpatrick is now coaching at East Carolina High School. Okay. All right. Brian's not a football guy. He don't know any any what we're talking about. He has no idea. Is that a sport? I'm just kidding. No, I, <laughs> I'm learning. I'm learning. I sat in many of a, a team meeting with Adam Jarecki at Calhoun Academy. Again, out in the middle of nowhere, St. Matthew, South Carolina. So I learned a lot of football. Chris de Blasio, get off my back. <laughs> no, I'm just – I knew you wouldn't know who Buddy Green is. But, yeah, I just happened to work with his son. His son Todd worked with us in the video Carolina and then went to work for his dad up at Navy when his dad was up there at Navy with uh, Ken Niamataloa. That's a name for you. Uh, Coach, <laughs> tell us about um, – you, you know, being a coach now, now you were you know, obviously playing football and basketball in, in high school, college, you played football, but then you got out and became a basketball coach. How do you work on your craft every day or throughout the year? What do you do to get better to improve as a coach? Uh, I do a lot of different things. Uh, you know, I've got my circle of coaching friends that, you know, we call and talk and, you know, talk basketball all the time. Um, you know, guys like Andy Pitt, uh, I talk to Coach Pitt. Um, I've got several other guys I, I call on a regular basis and we chat basketball. Um, Coach Pitt Sr. or Coach Pitt Jr.? Coach, Coach Joe Pitts. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I call him for all kinds of advice. He, he has a lot of knowledge too, a part. Um, and so I, I talk with both of those guys and several other guys I've worked with and that I've come in contact with. Um, I go to several coaching clinics a year. Um, there's always the big Nike clinic down here at the beach um, that I, I would go to pretty much every year. 
Um, some college co- coaches actually have, you know, clinics um, at their own school sometimes, and I'll try to get some of those when I can. So, um, you know, watch a lot of game film, watching, uh, you know, videos of coaches, reading books on, you know, that different coaches have written and just philosophies on how to, you know, manage manage young men. Because uh, <laughs> more than the X's and the nose, it's, it's almost you got to be a have a doctorate in psychology and sociology <laughs> <laughs> to be able to deal with 15, 16, 17 year old minds. That, Coach, that's a great segue to my next question. So you play college football at a high level, a high level athlete, and then you come back to high school and start coaching kids. I know for me, working around college basketball, I had all these ideas like you're talking about. I got all these X's and O's. I got everything that I know. I know the level of athlete that I'm going to, going to encounter. And then I get to high school and it's like, wait, this is way different. So I'm, I'm wondering about you. How are you able to flip that switch? Was it a quick flip or did it take you some time to realize like, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not dealing with a ton of division one athletes here. I've got to, to change the way I'm coaching here a little bit. Well, you know, when I, when I first got into the, got into coaching, you know, when I first decided to go into coaching, um, as a college athlete, you got to decide, you know, do you want to try to stay at the college level or, you know, go back to the high school level. And my decision was to work with the high school level because I wanted to go where the game was still, uh, in a sense, pure. And the kids mostly played purely for the, for the love and joy of just playing ball and being with their friends out there. And so uh, it's just like, you know, when you're explaining something to an adult versus explaining something to a child, sometimes you got to kind of back off a little bit and try to uh, break it down in a little simpler fashion. But, you know, it's – at the end of the day, it's still blocking and tackling and football. It's still <laughs> passing and dribbling and, you know, shooting with basketball. Uh, it's just a matter of how you relate that information to them. Uh, and for the most part, uh, the kids want to be taught. And they're, they're eager to, to learn. As long as you um, – and you're prepared and you know what you're talking about, they'll, they'll be right there with you. And if you're not prepared, fake it. Like fake, like you know what you're talking about. You know, that's what I do every day at practice. I fake it, Coach. Just let me, you said something that, and I know Brian will remember this. You said, you know, still all about passing and, and you know, uh, dribbling. And Coach Odom always used to say, "It's about passing and catching." Yes. So many people throw the pass. Not everyone knows how to catch the pass. And, and when you got those guys that don't know how to catch it, then you find a way not to pass on the ball. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, Coach, so so the name of the podcast here is The Greatest Game. So you had sent us, uh, I believe, two games. So why don't you start out with one of them, take us inside the gym, bring us, uh, I guess it was into Hemingway. I don't know if this game was in Hemingway or in Ridge Spring, Mineta, but take us into the gym. Let us feel the sweat. Let us hear the crowd and tell us about this amazing uh, game that you had against Ridge Spring, Mineta. Well, Actually, this was a state, oh, it was a state championship. championship. So it was in it was in the um, Colonial Life Arena. Colonial Life Arena. Yep. Yes. Uh, well, first of all, at Hemingway, when I got there, those guys had already played in back-to-back state championships. So they had lost the first year, and they won the year previous to me joining. And so that whole week leading up to the state championship game, um, I was taking cues from them because they had been there. They knew what to expect. And so um, talking to several different coaches, some that had played the state championships, won state championships before, 
all of them told me the same thing was don't allow yourself to miss the moment. When you go into it, take a few seconds, take a deep breath, look around, absorb it, and just enjoy what, what you're you know about to experience. But don't stay in there too long. <laughs> take that moment and then refocus so you can get ready to play. And I tell you, walking into that arena was just an electric feeling. I mean, as small as Hemingway is, pretty much the whole town was there. So that whole bottom level was jumping, you know, and the crowd was going crazy. And um, I had a lot of family there and a lot of friends and, you know, people from Union were, you know, excited for me. A bunch of people from Union came down and uh, just to support me, which was was an awesome experience just to have that level of support there. Um, and playing with a group of guys that had the experience of being there um, really helped lighten my load. Because I, I was – Going into the game, I really felt like we would win. Uh, but, you know, as a coach, you don't want to, you know, start counting the chickens before the eggs hatch, you know. Um, and so I, I, I try to make sure that you know, the guys didn't get too high or too low and try to stay even killed because that's, that's how I try to remain as well. Uh, you know, we go in the gym and, you know, the place is jumping and the crowd's going. And for the opening tip, I mean, it was a back-and-forth game. Uh, Rear Spring had – an all-state player and another kid that probably could have been all-state. Um, they were both guards. Their point guard was phenomenal player. The shooting guard was all-state player. And then they had a, I say, a grown man down inside on the block that was a rebounding machine. Um, he he gave us fits for a good portion of the ball game. Uh, you know, going through that first quarter, it was kind of back back and forth, tit for tat. Uh, very physical game, but referees allowed us to play. They didn't, you know, step in and take over the ball game, uh, which was worse to our benefit because, you know, in a small town like Hemingway, not only are they great athletes, but they're physical players. And so, uh, matter of fact, my big man, uh, Darius Juju Williams, he is uh, playing defensive end at Middle Tennessee State right now. In high school, he was 6'4", 230. Mm-hmm. Solid muscle. No, nobody that. And so he and the big kid from uh, Ridge Spring was battling out all night. Um, by halftime, it was a four-point ball game. Uh, and still, you know, still right there going back and forth. It's, you know, a game of runs, just back and forth. One team scores, one team, you know, jumps in it. And we like to play up and down, and they want to slow it down with a more of a control uh, push. Um, but once we hit that third quarter, it was just something that my guys just kind of clicked and we started to, you know, really rattle off a pretty big run in the third quarter with our pressure defense led to several dunks. Uh, my, one of my centers, uh, Jaquan Julius had a two hand dunk. That was an and one. That was just all over this top of this kid. It was just in, in high school, you get a dunk and, you know, it, it just takes it up another notch. And Juju had a dunk. I think we had three or four dunks in a little quick span there. Uh, and then by the end of the third quarter, we had pushed the lead out. And fourth quarter was about was pretty even back and forth, but we'd already built that lead up. And um, you know, at the end of the night, Juju had 21 and 14. And then my point guard, who was uh Darius Taylor, led the state in assist for all classifications, not just one A. It was the one A player of the year that year. He had a phenomenal game, 16 points. And, five rebounds and six assists. I mean, he just did it all. And there's like, there's a phenomenal picture that um, the photographer took 
he's sitting on the floor just towards the end of the ball game, and you can just tell he's exhausted. And he's just sitting there, and one other guy just standing over him, like reaching down to, to help him up. And it was just the epitome of, you know, when you ask a kid to lay it all on the line and just to see, you know, that pure exhaustion. Um, only for moments later for it all to come back out in, in elation, you know, when, the, when there wasn't any confetti, but <laughs> the, the confetti, so to speak, would start to fall. Um, and it was just, it was, I, I listened to one of my greatest games just for, from a professional standpoint. Um, and something that coaches coach 30, 40 years never get the experience. And I was fortunate enough to get there and not only get there, but win. And, uh, and obviously it was, uh, you know, what coaches say, it's not about the X's and O's, it's about the Jimmy's and Joe's. Uh, when you got some really good players, you look like a really good coach. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So, Coach, you talked about people advised you. I want to go back to the beginning of the game. I was reading about the game. I was reading about the dunks. You guys did. You had a third-quarter run where I think you won – 25 to 14 or something like that in the third quarter. But I want to go back to the beginning of the game. You said people told you to enjoy the moment, take it in. So when you walked out onto that floor for the game time, what were you thinking about? Who were you thinking about? Uh, you know, I don't know if you're married, got kids, mom, dad, uh, someone like Coach Pitt who, who has meant a lot to you in your life. Who were you thinking about at that moment when you walked out on the floor just before the game? Well, actually, the first thing I did was I looked for my mom in the stands. And she was sitting uh, a couple rows behind the bench. Uh, my mom, my brother, um, you know, Andy Pitt was there. Uh, a lot of a lot of family and friends were there. And you know, that's the first thing I want to do is just look around, just make eye contact with them, just you know, acknowledge them, and you know, thank them for their support. Um, you know, you get you get chills. You walk out there, and, and you know, you you want to try to stay as focused as possible, but. Like I said, you, you got to try to take in as much as possible. Um, I took, made sure I took a couple of deep breaths and looked around and just, uh, you know, just want to experience it all, you know. I'm, I'm blown away by Hemingway. I've seen Hemingway in state championship games for a lot of years, like you've mentioned many times in this show. And I'm looking at pictures online of all the coverage uh, from – WIS, SC Now, High School Sports Report, all of your kids look so just deeply focused. Like like you said earlier, like they've already been there, so they they knew they belong. What is it about Hemingway? I don't know if it's as a town or as a school, but where that is just almost, I don't know if it's an expectation. I just love to hear more about like, one thing I've noticed being around in South Carolina all my life, I grew up in Sumter. Uh, kids in Sumter are different than kids in Columbia and, and looking at Hemingway, looking at these pictures and getting to know you now, kids in Hemingway are different. It's not right or wrong, good or bad. It's just that everybody's just got their own edge. So what is it about Hemingway that has these kids just believing that, yeah, we're supposed to be here and we're going to win and we're going to beat you. Well, and you know, it goes all the way back to, uh, they have a very strong rec program in the town of Hemingway. And they've got some, you know, some good men that work with those young boys from the time they were old enough to stand up and dribble basketball. And, you know, they've instilled in them to say, look, we don't lose. We don't accept losing. And that's that's not what's going to happen. When we step onto the floor, we expect to win. I mean, when when I went in for the interview, uh, 
one of the gentlemen in the interview said, Coach DeWalt, we like to win. <laughs> and I said, yes, sir, I understand. And it was it was an understanding from the beginning, not only for me, but for you know everyone that there's a certain expectation, a certain level um, of achievement that you're going you're going to get when you're there. It's championship robust almost to to that point. Um, you know, if you don't if you don't go undefeated, you don't blow everybody out. They want to know what's going on with you. You know, we went twenty and I think twenty and six, um, and there was. Six nights where a lot of people him anyway, didn't like me a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> and then even with some of those 20 wins, there were some nights where people didn't like me a whole lot because we didn't win by enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, you know, going into it, you know, I, I knew the expectations. And, you know, I challenged my, my guys to not only meet those expectations, but to exceed them. Um, I don't know, you may have heard of the 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 book one word um mm-hmm. but there's also a, an abbreviated version an article that i shared with the guys and so um i told all the guys i said you know we were going to choose a team word and we're going to hang our hat on to this is what we're all about and then each each player had a word for themselves that they were going to choose and the boys chose the word dominate so that's what we're going to do coach we're going to dominate and so every single night, it was their mission to dominate from the opening tip until the final horn. And, you know, with that mentality, that really took us very far. And the name Hemway across our chest uh, gave us a 10-point lead anyway with a lot of teams. A lot of people saw Hemway and you know, they knew that they were going to be for a long night. And so uh, just that reputation that, that Hemway has built for themselves over the years and the alumni come back all the time, and alumni will not let the younger guys disappoint them. And the young, the young guys don't want to disappoint the the alumni. That's those guys that have laid along the line for you know for years and years and years. And so it's just a uh, you know the old saying tradition never graduates. That's the same kind of mentality that the kids at Hemingway have that just been passed on from their uncles and fathers and brothers that have done it before them. One of the things that or several things about Hemingway that I'm I love and I'm loving even more now getting to talk to you is this there's just a an element of of purity there that there's no and I'm not saying that there's any recruiting going on in high school sports. I know that would never happen. Um, but it's kids grow up in Hemingway, they're going to Hemingway, like you said, tradition never graduates and it's just it's the that it's the expectation to come in and in this case for this year to dominate. And it's not, it doesn't sound like it's a win at all cost type thing. It's a, I'm sure those kids work their tails off every day for you in practice, in preseason, in the weight room, playing football, jumping right to basketball. It's just what they do. And then to go out and actually win games, which is, it's great, but it's, I'm sure it's how they just approach every day. And it was just sounds like it's in the water. Down. And, and I'd be remiss not to tell you that, you know, going into that, season, uh, our principal had passed away from cancer. Uh, he passed away right before basketball season started. He was, he, one of the last things he got to do was participate in homecoming. Uh, he battled cancer for, for quite some time, and, and the kids kind of saw it coming. They knew it was coming, and they just we just didn't know when it would happen. And so, you know, he had worked with those kids from the time they were in elementary school all the way up 
And I mean, he meant a whole lot to a lot of those kids. He was he was the father that a lot of those guys didn't have. You know, uh, not only the kids on my team, but other members of the community and alumni, like everybody loved him. And when he passed away, you know, those kids did not want to disappoint him. Because they knew that, you know, he was like, he was our guardian angel, watching over us, being with us all the way through. And uh, when we got our state championship rings, um, we made sure we had his name uh, inside the inside of the, of the ring. All right, Coach. Uh, I do want to talk about the other game. We're giving you two games here just because we, we've had Coach Pitt on and, and the story behind that game, though it was a loss, I, I know it means a lot to you. Um, and this was when you were at uh, which school? I'm sorry, I'm terrible at this. I'm the, I'm the worst. Mid Carolina, and you were playing Coach Andy Pitt at Chesney. Why don't you tell us about that game and, and what it meant to you and why it was so special? Well, it's funny. Andy and I have actually played each other on multiple occasions. Once when we were JV coaches, when he was at Burns, and then a couple times between Chesney and Mid Carolina. Uh, but this one was particularly special because we both were coaching the best teams that we had had in a, you know, ever as head coaches. Um, I had a kid on my team, Zach Parker, that was a two-time All-State player, ended up earning a scholarship to go play at Erskine College. Uh, on that team also had a, a kid that went to go play college baseball, Danton Hyman, a kid that went to play college football at PC, uh, Dante Boy. So we had – I had – a team with three college athletes and another one that, you know, had his academics been a little better shape, he might have been a college athlete as well. But then Andy had Deion Holmes, who was one of the top five players to ever play in the state of South Carolina when it comes to scoring. I think Deion is maybe two or three on the all-time scoring list um, with, you know, multiple 40, 50, 60-point ball games. Um, but it was just a great moment because it was not only – our two really good teams matching up, but it was in the playoffs and, you know, it was a great atmosphere. Chesney, you know, had just got their new gym built. And so, uh, I mean, beautiful facility. If you've never been to Chesney's gym, I mean, it's really nice facility. They did it, they did it well. Um, and the gym was packed and there was, you know, people from Mid-Carolina came up, people from Chesney, people from Union, people from all over were there uh, to watch their game, uh, really because they want to see that battle between Zach Parker and Deion Holmes. They knew Dion was going to give him a show. And I think that night, Zach showed a lot of people that he was a pretty good basketball player as well. Uh, but it was really special for me just having the opportunity to, to match it with Andy. Uh, we pretty much knew everything that each other, you know, would do because almost every single night after a ball game, we call and talk to each other, talk about the games. Uh, both of us run a lot of things that his dad ran. Um, you know, some of the ter terminology is still the same. Uh, so sometimes he would make a call or I would make a call and we would know what to do. So we're trying to coach our kids. Hey, they're about to run back that screen right here. They're going to trap right here. Um, and so that was pretty, that's pretty cool. Just that back and forth between he and I, just knowing, knowing each other so well. Um, and knew his kids were going to be really well coached. Uh, but another thing that was kind of special was uh, Jed Blackwell wrote an article uh, leading up to the game, a really well-written article. Uh, for the Spartan Hero Journal is talking about Andy and I relationship because you know, we've been best friends since like third grade. And so just growing up together, being best friends, uh, you know, I was at his house as much as he was at my house. It was like, you know, my parents could claim him on his taxes and vice versa, you know. <laughs> uh, 
you know, because the, the Pitt family is like my second, my second family. You know, Coach Pitt and Mrs. Pitt, like my second parents, and uh, you know, Andy and his brothers and sisters are just, um, you know, we're we're family, you know. And so, uh, even though we don't have the same bloodline, we're still family. And so, being able to play in that game, compete against him at uh, at a very critical moment in both our careers uh, was was really special, um, you know. And and the game did not disappoint. Uh, Zach played probably the best game he played his whole career and beyond. Put on an absolute show. <laughs> four, forty-four points, twenty in the fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, going into the game, like, I I knew it was like he's going to get forty. There, there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, I and I traded film. We're like, hey, you want some film? I give you some film. It doesn't matter. You know, at the end of the day, the kids are going to have to play. Uh, I mean, there was games where people tried to run the triangle and two, and the two were on Dion. And they would just like forget about the other guys. And Dion still went for 50 one night. <laughs> trying to go two on him. So it was a given that he was going to get 40. And our thing was we can't let him get 60. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then hopefully we can limit what some of the other guys do. Uh, and fortunate for them, unfortunate for us, uh, some of the other guys chipped in and, and hit some shots and some crucial moments to kind of um, that that kind of hurt us, uh, but like I said, when, when Dion decided he was going to take the ball game over in the fourth quarter, it wasn't anything you could do. And yeah. It didn't matter who I had on the floor. It didn't matter who was going to be in the gym that day. Dion Holmes decided he wanted to score. He was going to score. And we were hand in the face, hanging all over, and it didn't matter. And if you found him, he was the biggest free throws. So, Coach, just quickly, you know, I like if you've listened to some of the episodes, you know, I like to stir it up a little bit. So, you said earlier in the podcast, it's not about the X's and O's, it's about the Billies and Joes. So, what you're telling me here is really Coach Pitt's not that good a coach. He just had Deion Holmes, right? Is that that's what I'm getting from this story? Is that <laughs> I'm not going to say that. <laughs> he, he was good enough to know the key. The ball and get the ball. Okay, that's good. Good coach. You're right. You know, you know, kind of go back to Hemingway uh, real quick. uh, Follow that up. I remember looking at my assistant coaches one day. It was like over Christmas break, and we're going over some stuff. And I looked at him. I'm like, "What are we doing?" And he said, "What?" I said, "I'm doing way too much. I'm in the way. Let me get out the way and just let these boys play." And you know, that as a coach, that's what you have to do sometimes. Is realize, you know what? You, you have your philosophies, you have your rules and, and things put in place, but at the end of the day, you need to put the ball in the hands of the best players and allow them to play. And, you know, that night at Chesney, whew, that fourth quarter, hey, it was nothing you could really draw because you can't just go straight man on them, uh, but you don't want to just overcommit to Dublin. You can't just sit back in zone. Like, he, he he presented a whole bunch of problems. And it's probably the reason why he went on to USC Upstate and had a great career there. And, uh, you know, he's an excellent high school basketball player. He was incredible. So episode 22 of the Greatest Games podcast, Coach Andy Pitt talking about Deion Holmes. And uh, that was an incredible episode. And you're right, the kid's incredible. And just one of the nicest kids you'll ever meet, too. And, and could just absolutely put up 44 in, in a heartbeat, too. Now, I've got a couple of quick questions for you, Coach. Did you yeah, – I know you made a habit of calling Coach Pitt after games. Did y'all call each other after this one? <laughs> I had to take a little bit of time. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I you know, I, 
I can, I can congratulate them after the, after the game because um, I knew that my guys played extremely well, and his guys played extremely well. It was an excellent ball game. Um, you know, you get down to the end of the game, and it's one of those deals where if you keep fouling, you know, we lost by eight. You keep fouling, it's going to end up 15, 20, <laughs> you know, because they're going to make their free throws. Mm-hmm. You know, but but we kept it in close enough to you know give ourselves a chance. And uh, like I say, when you when your best player scores thirty three and grabs eighteen boards and has six assists, uh, it's it's hard to get mad. You know, you, you never you never are happy with a loss, but there are a few losses that you take. You're like, you know what, our kids lay long line and I can sleep well at night. Mm-hmm. And you know that that's that's all you can ask when the kids play as hard as they can possibly play. And lay it all online, and and don't uh, don't beat themselves. They made the other team beat us, and they did. That night, Chester was a better team. Yep. You know. Yeah. Sometimes the other team just ends up with more points than you. That's uh, just the way it goes. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's the way it happens. Well, coach, you, you know that your kids, no, no matter where you've been along your journey, they have a coach Emmanuel Dewalt impression. So the question now is that we like to end on a fun one is that impression or what do you find yourself just saying over and over every practice, every game year after year that, you know, those kids are using in their impression. <laughs> oh, I think it's probably more of some of my hand gestures than necessarily some of some of the things I say. You have some good ones. That's, I'm regretting that we don't do video, but you go ahead. But yeah, go keep going. <laughs> you know, I, I do a lot of hand gestures. I'm, I'm a hand talker, and so I think it's, it's probably more of my mannerisms than necessarily just any one particular thing that I say. Uh, but I do have the tendency to. When I do get on a certain topic, I'll just continue to say the same thing over and over and over again. I, I'll probably ramble sometime with my boys. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I do regret that we are an audio only podcast right now. Maybe, maybe one day we can have you back for our first video and, uh, Let's see if you give us that permission to use the video for a podcast. But Coach Emmanuel DeWalt, this has been great to have you on to hear about your greatest games at Forest Under Carolina on Twitter to follow along with you guys. But, um, again, just can't thank you enough for coming on the show. This has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, well, at at this point, we will go ahead and put a button on this one for my co-host, Krista Blasio. I'm Brian Rosefield, and thank you for listening to this episode of The Greatest Games.